So hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to our fabulous podcast where we talk to people in all walks of life about their profession, what it is they do, why they stay, what motivates them, how they got there, who they are as a person that keeps them, you know, doing that job at that level, and on and on and on. So we are really, really excited today because we get to talk to Sarah Miller from Pittsburgh. And this is going to be cool because let me tell you how I met Sarah, which is an awesome little story in itself. So uh, my husband, as um, some of you might know, is uh, the hugest hockey fan, I think, in the history of hockey and hockey fans. He loves hockey as a hockey podcast. He you know, does everything for hockey to watch hockey. So of course we're in Pittsburgh and we have to go see the hockey game. And he basically, you know, builds a whole trip around seeing, uh, seeing the jets and the pens play. So we had the opportunity to go see that game and then, you know, bumping around doing, I guess, a little bit of sweet hopping. And, uh, we end up in this, you know, fabulous suite with tons of people. And I don't really know anyone. He, you know, is talking hockey with all his, you know, aficionados. And I, happen to have Sarah sitting next to me and we get to talking and we are like the same person. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm cracking myself up because I'm like listening to her thinking I, that, I, me too. And that's how I think. And that's what I would do. And I, I, I'm the same way. And that's fantastic. And so of course I love her because she's, you know, just like me. So that was, that was awesome. Um, but Sarah has a cool background. How we ended up talking about this is that she had worked before in high-end retail and then transitioned into, you know, finance banking, but really customer relations. So what I'm, um, what you'll want to do on this uh, episode is uh, pay attention for those of you who will definitely identify yourself in the story with being a people person, being the person who wants to, um, you know, help help people find themselves, if you will, or like become them best selves, their best selves, and how do they do that? And then we'll talk about it as we go through. There's so many ways that you can express yourself and yourself in a career if you have this, and then you know, I'll get to it and I'll talk to Sarah about it. Like, do we think that that's something that you can learn or do you think that's something you just have or, you know, who really are you in this space? So with all that, here we go with Sarah Miller. So how are you, Sarah? I'm good, Chris. Thank you for having are me. Are you freezing out there in, in Pittsburgh, or is it okay? Believe it or not, we woke up today. It's warm. It's sunny. It feels like a Florida morning. It's a little cool. It's a little damp, but the sun's out, and it's it's rare we get these days, but I'm so excited to have it. <laughs> of course you are, and it's awesome because Pittsburgh is an awesome city, and it's even better when it's sunny. I would. Oh yeah. <laughs> I would take it when it's, it's sunny. It's, yeah, it's not sunny often. So when it is, everybody comes out of their hermit holes and is out enjoying it. Pretty nice to see. Yeah, totally. I remember even being in college back east, and everyone would be like out on the lawn when like the one day came that the the sun was out. <laughs> like like exactly, exactly like it's Florida. Okay, so Sarah, so glad to talk to you. So why don't you just start by telling us what it is that you do? So I work for a major financial institution in Pittsburgh. I'm in wealth management and I'm a private banker. Officially, my title is a banking advisor. So I work with clients on a day-to-day. I work with clients 
and I help them with their banking needs on a day-to-day basis. So anything as simple as I lost my credit card or I don't recognize this charge to complex lending solutions with um, asset-based lending through uh, portfolio, using a portfolio to secure a line of credit. Okay, so we just went from I lost my credit card to bleep blah blah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which is awesome. So this is great. So let's give give people an idea because, well, let's first talk about kind of how is it that you're here and then we'll go back and talk about what it is that you that you do in that space. So just a couple, just a couple clarifying points. So when I, when I hear private banker, I've worked with private bankers. I kind of understand that um, a little bit. So, but when you're talking about working with the more complicated solutions, Mm-hmm. What exactly, like, what is the breadth of this? So someone comes in and they say, I have, they have to kind of have a lot of, not a lot of money, but some amount of money, right, to be able to work with you specifically. Correct. So we are looking for $2 million net worth, a million, in the, a million in investable assets or more. So okay. that's kind of the, the bottom, like the entry point, I would say, for my clients. Okay. And so then those people would be coming then to this particular bank and then are we allowed to say the bank or no? I don't know. And I, I'm just going to say no. Just okay. Because so this awesome bank that if you <laughs> find Sarah Miller on LinkedIn, you can work with her. Um, so, to, to million, so to a million of net worth, I can get this and then a million of investable assets. So, but is it the bank who identifies these people, these clients for you? Or do you do any of like the, the reaching out to find people to bring them into the bank? So I do that. So basically, it's, it's kind of, it's very interesting, and it's very hard to explain verbally, and it's much easier to explain visually, but I'm going to do my best. Okay. So how we work is we have a full team. So we have something called a client advisor. Now, they're the person who's going out into the banks, into the branches, into networking events, meeting people, and trying to get them onboarded with our financial institution. Once that happens and we onboard a client, so they're going to be scrubbing for that $1 million or more or the net worth. Once we get them over, then we have a relationship manager. The relationship manager is the liaison between the client and the team. And then under the relationship manager, you have all the basic functions of financial planning. So you have a financial planner who's going to take charge of retirement, estate, legacy. You're going to have a fiduciary advisor who's going to be in charge of all your trusts. You're going to have an investment advisor, self-explanatory. And then you're going to have me, which is a private banker who uh, basically operates as a you know, branch. But yes, I will look for clients on my own. I will go through the client advisor um, you know, networking, whatever I can do. So I come to the bank with a book of business, which is great because I hate cold calling, but I network myself as well. And if I meet somebody and I can bring them over, then that's great too. Okay. So I am getting this because in what you just said, so there are one, two, three, four, five, like six jobs within each client, you know, and obviously that spreads over clients, but you have your client advisor who is the client advisor, the entry level idea yeah. or is Okay. He's, yeah, they're, they're they're kind of discovering the client, finding them, making but I mean, sure in terms that they're well qualified. Of their work, like the person who comes in to be a client advisor, is that a seasoned 
person or is that someone who that's, you know, one of their first two, three, four jobs in their career or? Oh, no, very seasoned. Yeah. Everyone, I would say, yes, very seasoned because they're going to understand they're going to be a salesperson. They're going to be able to talk to somebody, but they're also going to be somebody who understands all the different functions within finance of planning and they're going to be able to talk about those things with them in order to entice them to say, here's what we offer. Here's what we do. Here's tell me your story. Okay. Well, this is what we do and this is how we can help you. Right. So they have to be thinking kind of on the fly to be able to, you know, synthesize all that information. Okay. Now I'm getting it better. Okay. So then, and, and as we're talking about private banking, probably this whole team then is seasoned. Correct. Okay. So we got the client advisor who is, Essentially sales-ish, but really sales a relationship onboarding. to the high-level relationship manager. But mm-hmm. Okay. So let me make I sure I understand. Even this like because... onboarding. Okay. Word, I think. And onboarding for people not in onboarding. <laughs> <laughs> onboarding like... uh, clients who might not be wealth management yet or might be at another firm. Yeah. So I think of someone like, um, you know, someone who's inviting you on your cruise ship, you know, just like, oh, I, I know where you're going to stay. I know what you're going to need. I know where your calendar is going to be. I know where all the resources that you are going to need are. And here you go. Come on board too. Here's the cruise yeah. ship. Right. Yeah. So that, Come on board. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Onboarding. Um, and then we have the financial planner. So is that like a portfolio manager or that's going to be the investment advisor? That would be the investment advisor. So the what they call them is a wealth strategist. So basically the financial planner is going to take a look at the whole financial picture of the client. What are they doing right now? How do how do how does everything come to play? They have this much in savings, they have this much in investments, they're investing in this. How are the titlings on their account setting them up to protect them from probate or to put them to put things in the estate? Are the right people Getting this money, should the clients pass, are their power of attorneys have set up? Uh, what are the tax consequences to having things set up this way? So they kind of have a, an overview, a broad picture of the entire financial picture today, tomorrow, and the future. Okay, that's this like, is really helpful because what I want to uncover for people as we're talking about this is not only your um, awesome expertise and where you fit in, but then the myriad of, of um, positions that might be available for someone who ne- didn't necessarily, you know, major in finance in college. Because I think these are these are things that you can come into. You know, you can you can learn these things. I've had to learn these things. People can learn this stuff. Um, I've learned this stuff. I have um, I have an art. Ma- I'm an art major. I have oh, a, yeah. a fine, bachelor in fine arts, so you can learn it. <laughs> I did not know that you were a bachelor in arts. I don't know if we talked about that. Okay, this is so cool. Right, exactly. So I think right. So people can understand. It's it's also about uncovering you know who you are and kind of you know where where you fit into life. So someone who's a financial planner, I would think of is, is someone who's again. I always talk about where the creativity lies. I think that's a creative person. That's someone oh, who yeah. has to have kind of the split level though, right? The left brain, right brain, pretty well aligned because it has to be creative to kind of think about, all right, how am I going to be of service to this person, you know, to add value? Um, but then really what are the, what are the, the basics on the analytical side that, so I can get them over to the fiduciary who you mentioned the financial planner is going to look about some tax consequences and things like that. But the fiduciary is going to be well entrenched in that, right? Or the the well, you know the, the, the titling guys, and that stuff that you're talking about. Uh, yeah, the wealth strategist. 
And then the fiduciary advisor, they're kind of, and they are reviewing legal documents, setting up trust right. uh, for the client and for their family. And then the trusts are going to be for taxes, basically, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for tax purposes. Um, basically, what your trust is going to do is you you are leaving this world and you want to make sure your money is going to whoever, whomever you want and how, and you want them to use it how you want them to use it. So they could have different clauses saying, you know, they can't have it until they're 30 or, you know, they can have this trust when they're, they can have this money when they're 21. However, they can only use it on, you know, health housing, you know, there could be specific clauses in there. So it's very, um, it's just a, a way to make sure that when you leave money to somebody, it's going to be used the way you want it to be used and used yeah. responsibly. And then again, avoiding probate or uh, you don't want it to go to the state. You want it to be left directly to the beneficiary. Yeah. Good point. Note to everyone listening that you just want to avoid probate at all costs. You just don't want to be yeah. there. Like, there's no reason, you know, go and go get an, you know, e-Zoom, whatever document, put something down. You don't want to be in probate. Um, right. You okay. want to save your money. If it's, if you leave Absolutely. it, if there's a beneficiary, then it goes directly to them instead of going through the estate of being taxed and then going to that person. Right. And so I'm thinking even on the fiduciary point, it's not even always your family. There's there's some great organization. There's all these great organizations. You know, if you have a passion throughout your life, right, that you have enjoyed or you're a, you know, a bird watcher or a, you know, a book reader or whatever you are, there's somewhere that you can um, put your money to good use when you're gone, you know, and even endow something. But the, that gets a little more complicated. But yeah, right. I think that's great. very cool. Yeah. And they're great tax benefits to uh, charitable giving, setting up trust uh, for charity. So it goes on and on and on and on. And that's why we have a specialist who focuses on that particularly. Is the fiduciary an attorney? A lot of our fiduciaries were attorneys mm -hmm. um, and now are in this role. Right. I could see that because then they would understand the legal aspects of it. But we, you wouldn't necessarily have to be. You wouldn't necessarily might. have to be, but I think, but the trend is most of ours are. You have to have some experience at least. Yeah, which actually is another cool thing to think about because when so many people go to law school, and I remember when I was younger, you know, and it was like, oh, why don't you go to law school? I was like, I don't want to be a lawyer. But there's so many ways to use a law degree, this being one of them. And I think when people get into law a little bit more, they understand that most lawyers spend their time doing documents and reviewing contracts and not in, you know, not in, not in the courtroom, you know, actually. Yeah. Like law and crime. order. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, everyone thinks it's law and order and that's probably, I don't even know percentage, but it's probably like 1% literally. Um, and right. most, of, most of law is in the details and the contracts. And you think about all the stuff that you sign all day long. Well, that's all lawyer work. So, so that's cool. Okay. So, but that's not as much of a client interface then with the fiduciary or they meet with the clients, but really just to review the document, kind of those setups of the trust. Well, what I think is so amazing about our institution is we have this team atmosphere. So we all work together and we, we all go see the client. Now, if a client's overwhelmed by having, you know, six different suits in the room or five different suits in the room, then we, we don't all have to go. But that's what I think makes us so great is that we have one client and you have all your experts and we're at one table doing what we can to make sure that their financial plan and their financial picture is perfect and what works for them. And it's always evolving and we're always up to date with it where 
other financial firms, you might have to outsource investments here and estate planning here and a lawyer here. And so, um, and then, you know, those people aren't always talking. They're not talking all the time. They're different entities where we are one team focused for that client under one roof, sitting at one table for that person. So to answer your question, yes, we're in front, they're in front of the client too. That's a huge value add. I'm just thinking even about my own personal experience, <laughs> putting all these pieces together. And you're right. They don't, they don't talk and they don't, and you're helping actually a lot in terms of what, what positions are available out there? I think these are this is a dual fold conversation, right? Because I'm I'm intending it for it to be all about the professions that are out there. But I think as people are listening, they might also be thinking, oh, and I could be a consumer as well, right? So I think my right. niece would be a really good, you know, client advisor, and I actually need someone to help me do all this stuff. And so I think people maybe don't even know. And this is the whole point about talking about these various professions because people don't even know that that exists. Within a bank, if you go in, you see your teller every day, and they, you know I don't think banks do a really good job of telling you what's available. Maybe that's because the they don't know where the wealth lies or something. But I, I don't think the I, I mean I'm in this position. I don't think the marketing is ever that great in terms of uh, letting people know what's available, the value add there. So this is uh, this is helping in so many ways I think for people. So okay, then beyond that, then there's the investment advisor. Now that is the portfolio manager. Correct. Exactly. Okay. So they're managing the portfolio. Give us an um, idea of what a portfolio is for, for those of us who aren't in this world. So it's just your investments. So your stocks, your bonds, um, anything, any investments you may have, we're going to take a look at that and we're going to put it all in one. So if you have different allocations, uh, stocks, bonds, treasuries, money markets, whatever you have, we're going to put that in your portfolio. You're going to have an investment advisor who's going to review that, look at that every single day, and they're going to make trades for you based on what's going on with your direction. And then, of course, we have our top economic leaders giving us insight onto what they think's going on. And we, we operate within a model that they suggest. Um, however, we do our own. The investment advisor has their own freedom to partner with the client as well to work out what, what the client would want. And respective to the client, that's how we know what their risk ratios would be. Uh, for example, younger clients, we're going to do a higher risk. Older clients, we're going to do a lower risk. Um, because the low, it makes sense. You think you have an older client, you don't want a risky, you don't want risky investments. They're older, they're going to need that money. We want it to be safe. And we just want them to make money and them to be comfortable into retirement and then for their children. Right. Okay. And then a younger person has more time to make a mistake, first of all, and right. And then just more time exactly. to be in the market. Exactly. There's more there. You can be a little bit risky because you're, yeah, exactly. You have more time to put more money in there. You're a little bit younger. You might have some other things going. So as you get older, that risk, that risk profile kind of, decreases. So I wouldn't imagine given your given your net worth requirements that you have that many younger younger clients. You might have younger couples in their 30s of dual income people or people, you know, have inherited or trust themselves, right? But are your mm -hmm. clients generally, you know, 40s plus? Yeah, I would say even 50s plus. Um okay. cuz it takes a while but... to talk the amount of wealth you're talking to a mass takes a little while. Right. Now I'm sure in California, maybe in um, 
Yeah, you sell a house here and you're in that. (laughs) Yeah, or Silicon Valley. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, tech people that are younger and that are in this this, um, category. But right now we're looking at older people and there's a a major focus on their children and their offspring and looking at the entire relationship. We're not just taking care of the parents who have the money. We take care of the children and the children's children it's a legacy and we want to be a part of it. And it's very important to let the whole family know we're here for you. Just because the daughter who's 25 doesn't have any money is working on her own. And maybe she doesn't even know that her parents have trust set up for her. You know, maybe she's getting married and it's time to pay for the wedding, or maybe it's time for her to buy a house and we help her. We help her with the mortgage or Maybe we use some of the parents' investments as collateral to create a line of credit for her to purchase a home. I mean, we explore all options and we help everybody. And hopefully those children will see the value of us helping them. And then when they do inherit the money, they'll stay with us. But, you know, that's really we're just here for the entire family and for the relationship. Which is super helpful, though, and that's that's the value add, right? So I would think if I were in that position, I would I would want to stay with who whomever had you know, whoever whoever had set this up mm-hmm. for me, right? And whoever I've been working with for however many years, and it helped my parents. And that trans like generational approach is super helpful to preserve the wealth, also, right? So right. Right. We know you. We know your family. We understand where this money came from. We understand your whole picture. So we're here to help you. That being said, I think there's a trend for younger people to do everything online. So that's going to be something we're going to have to compete with. But I know for a fact, I'm actually on a project where we're improving our online and digital interface with clients and wealth management. So I know we, we are ramping up for that and on top of it. But uh, I think that's the best part for me is, is working on the relationship and, and meeting people and hearing their stories and helping them. That's that's the best part. Um, and one thing I do want to add, Chris, is for the viewers out there, the listeners out there, you don't have to be in wealth management for these services. There are financial planners out there for the everyday person. You don't have to have a net worth of two, $2 million. You don't have to have a million dollars in the in the bank in order to have these discussions and have these talks with people. There are people out there to help you regardless of your situation. That's really helpful. So you mean like through my local bank that there are, or you mean there are people like freelancers that are available to help with Because yeah. I'm, I'm on this huge mission for kids, people not to have these tremendous debt loads. I think people mm-hmm. are so over leveraged that it gives them, and even in this conversation, in this podcast, talking about career options, you limit your career options when you are, you know, debt laden. You, you, you can stay a lot more nimble and free if you free yourself of that. And that comes from what you're talking about is early on just getting the education. Right. I'd say start at your bank or just Google your area and look for certified financial planners. Uh, That's a big way to start. Um, If you're lower income, I know a lot of churches and schools or even banks will go through to the community and provide uh, financial planners to the public for free. So it just takes a little bit of research. You're correct, Chris. There's not much marketing for that. But just just do a little research on your own, and I think your key Google search words are certified financial planner. They'll be able to help you. Perfect. 
I'm writing it down because that's what I was thinking. Even when you're talking about it, yeah. If someone, if someone wants to find out just the basics, and when we're talking about a portfolio, I mean, it's it, it's not obvious to know what a portfolio is. I don't even know if I knew what no, it was compl- when I started business school. It's complicated. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, and it can't get complicated. very complicated very quickly. And the problem is, then we have, you know no offense to the IRS, but we've got the, you know, the tax code on top of it. And then, oh, you shouldn't do that that way. And, oh, you did it. You should have done a Roth. You shouldn't have done it. The, you know, it's just like, how can you possibly know? And then the this person who's working is just like, I just want to go and do my job. Right. Then, right. Which is where we should be able to, we should all be able to do our best resources, you know, our, our exactly. best work. Yeah. Okay. So let me, um, let me understand a little bit about, this is super, I think, incredibly helpful just to kind of give a lay of the land and how you work because your work has to be now not only the interface with the client, which is the kind of the external piece, but then you have all these internal pieces too. So are you like, as the private banker on this team, are you at all the team leader? on this or are you managing this team with in terms of even communications and head email person or that kind of stuff? That's a great question. So really the relationship manager, relationship strategist, whatever you want to call it, they're they're the quarterback of the team, so to speak. They're they're really um, the one who is supposed to be in charge of all the functions and the client and making sure everything is coming together and, and leading the way. That being said, sometimes you just have a better relationship with your client than the relationship strategist, and so you become that front person. So for me personally, I I aspire to be the relationship manager. That's where I'm going, and because my favorite part of this job is not the finances, it's the people and helping people and being with them, and and that's my favorite part. So that's what I aspire to be, and that's what I'm doing, and. And I think that shows a lot and with my clients. So they will reach out to me and say, can you help me with my investment? Can you help me with my trust? Can you give me a disbursement for my trust? And even though that's not my function and that's not what I specifically do, I, you know, talk to the fiduciary advisor or whatever function it is and I get it to them. And I kind of act as that quarterback relationship manager. So it's really it, it, that there's the structure of how it's supposed to be. And then there's what is, if that makes sense. It makes a hundred percent sense because then there's the person. <laughs> so, right? right. It's like, Oh, this is, there's all this structure that's made up. It's arbitrary really. And then, uh, and then there's people involved. So how do you get involved with the people? So let's talk about why you are wanting to do that on the people level, because you are, uh, did you say you had a BFA? Yes, I have a BFA, a okay. bachelor of fine arts. So, so what are you, singer, dancer, a musical theater person? <laughs> what, what do you do? What do you do on the side? This is why you have so many clients, right? Because you you get private parties. <laughs> well, you, I, like to think I, can, I like to think I can sing and dance. I'll put that out there. But um, I, I, I can draw and I can paint and I can sculpt and I can do photography. So I, I was a um, studio art major and I had a minor in art education. So I was more on the, the, in art history. So I was really on the art side in that aspect. Okay. Let, um, me, understand, let me understand that before you, before you move on. <laughs> so I, I just talked to not too long ago, a graphic artist and I, this, this, and obviously that person has been doing art, you know, her whole life. So I said, when you were little, did you just like, you were at the table with the art supplies and you were the art box girl. So how does this, how does this start for you when you're little with the art I, piece? 
I was just art all the time. I didn't, if I had my Barbies, I was, you know, doing stylist work and like painting their hair and putting makeup on them. And, and then once the, the dolls, I really never was into the dolls because I was drawing with pencils, drawing with markers. Um, you know, all I did was sit in front of the TV or go, I did go outside and play, but I loved drawing. I loved drawing so much. I had all the markers and all the pencils. And then, um, you know, when we were younger, there was this, it wasn't necessarily an art store. It was like a kid's store with little games and cards, but they had art supplies there. And my mom used to take me. I remember there was this thing, I, I think it's called like build a mug or something. And you would draw on a piece of paper and you'd send it in and then you get a mug back or a plate back or a cloth back. And I did all of those. And then I think my mom saw that I was really interested in it. So she started taking me to art camps when I was younger. And then when I got in school, I took every art elective I could. Um, like in high school. In yeah. high, middle school and high school. So yeah, it was just something I loved to do and all I wanted to do. It made me so happy. I played sports, so I was out and active. But when I wasn't out and active, all I wanted to do was draw. Was Okay, was your family artists? No. They were, your, your dad wasn't a famous painter. Your mom wasn't a wallpaper designer. <laughs> Nothing like that? My dad was a plumber. Um, but my mom, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, but my mom is very artistic. I mean, if you saw her interior decorating skills, you would be blown away. I mean, she really knows how to put things together. So I think I got that artistic side from her. And I see the artistic side in my sister as well. So I know she passed that on. But uh, And she would sit with me, too, every once in a while and draw and paint with me or help me build things. So she was she really was really wonderful and inspired me and helped me and, and cultivated that passion I had. Yeah. Which is so cool because, um, you know, I was just having a conversation about this this morning about how instrumental parents can be in just, you know, keeping that candle lit because it is not easy when you're a kid, you, you know, they, the kid can light the candle, right. But then to keep it burning to be able to do all that stuff you need support and you need parents who are kind of on the ball with it that can identify you know my child really seems to like this I'm just going to figure out an art camp or a little thing and then maybe it'll fizzle out which you know it does our kids and that's this how we learn right so maybe it'll fizzle out maybe it won't and if if it doesn't then to be able to have the um really the insight in your child or in someone else's child you're welcome to help anybody um just uh support them and keep that, keep that going because this is where the passions go. So, okay. So what happens? So you're, you do this in middle school, you do this in high school and, um, what are you thinking? I'm going to be able to have a uh, career in art or at what, what do you do? What, what happens in college even? So you only do art or do you have like a, a, a minor or something that you're doing or something you're doing on the side or do you have a part-time job that's very different or what's happening in college? So that's, Oh, great question. So basically, I go to college. I have no idea what I want to be. What do you want to be when you get older? I'm like, oh, I have no clue. Okay, even from the so beginning, I, like when you were applying to college, you were you said yeah. on the little application, you said, I want to be an art major. You said, I want to be English, I, or did you lie? Said, what did you say? Undecided. I said undecided. That was okay. a factor back then. Yeah, I right. I know exactly. Undeclared. Yeah. <laughs> undeclared. Yeah. 
So I was undeclared and I went and I did the general education courses and then I did some art electives because I enjoy it. So by the time I finished my general electives and I finished my, well, I'm sorry, by the time I finished the general electives and I had been doing the art electives alongside it, they said, well, what do you want to be? I said, I don't know. I still don't know. I still don't know. I, and it's, it's intense to pick your rest of your life when exactly. you're 19, 20 years old. So I said, I don't know. And my guidance counselor at the time or whatever you call them in college, she said, well, you only need a few more art credits to graduate. And I said, no. And I said, she said, well, what kind of job would you do in art? Would you want to be a curator? Would you want to do this? Did you want to do this? And I thought, well, I could do all those things. Um, but I thought, well, I'll, I'll minor in education. I thought that's at least a good backup that you always need teachers. Right. So, um, I finished school. I got the BFA. I had a minor in art education. I graduated and I started teaching and one, it just, I love children. I love them so much and I loved art education, but there was just something inside of me that was like, I need more. I just needed more out of life. It wasn't, it just wasn't there for me. And then financially it was, I, you go to these schools and they don't have the finances to pay for the supplies. So you're already making not a wonder, you're not making a wonderful salary, but then right. you're going and taking your money and spending on art supplies because you want these kids to have whatever they want because you love them. Of course. So I found myself in this situation. And then on top of that, when I graduated college is when they started cutting the music and the art programs across the country. So it was just really bad timing. And also just, I think it just wasn't what I was supposed to do. So um, I got out of the art education and I thought, well, what, what can I do? What do I like to do? I love fashion. I love putting things together. Uh, so I was lucky enough to get a job in a boutique and I did really well because I've, when you I say lucky to, enough, what do you mean lucky enough? Because I think you just go to a boutique and you say, I'd like to, a job. I guess because I had no experience. I had waited tables in college and. I'm sure I'm totally wrong about that. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> I'm sure I'm oh. completely wrong about that. So, yeah. I guess for me, it's so hard. I feel like it's just so hard to get a job out there at this point when you're mm -hmm. going entry level into anything. Um, and I guess you're right. You think about it, you can go to Gap Kids mm -hmm. or whatever, but I think that's what um, I'm saying. And I'm just thinking like, oh, you could go up. But I think you're not talking about. I don't know. Are you talking about getting a job at the Gap, or are you talking about getting a job at something different? So I, I got a, a job at this boutique in Denver, and it was I was I guess when I say lucky enough because I got to be the stylist and I got to be the buyer, and I oh, got yeah. to really take on. Um, the merchandising and it just I kind of got even though it was me and the owner I got to really understand how to run a boutique and from inside out so it I guess lucky enough because I wasn't just folding things and running the register like you would at Gap Kids or Forever 21 I was really involved with this boutique I was involved in what we what merchandise we got in and how we put it out there and working with clients and calling clients to bring them into the store so I really got a, a better understanding of how that works and I felt more involved and I felt more valued than if I was just at something at the mall I would you know 
That's it. That this is a really important point that you're making as you go along your whole career trajectory is that area of small boutiques or small businesses that I think are kind of misunderstood or not thought about when you're throwing your resume up on monster. But these are, I've been a small business owner for what, 20 years. Like these are businesses where you are going to be invited to a variety of jobs and those all those jobs are going to be made available to you because there just aren't enough people in a small business to do everything that's that that can be done or that needs to be done even half the time so um i think you're giving a good insight into that because if you if you do go to your local like even the boutique that you love you know just oh wow i just i love this boutique i love shopping in here you know i like how she sources or he sources or whatever and then once you get in there yeah i mean there's so much to learn about running a business on the business side, but even the stuff that you're talking about, having done this, I, I can attest to, you know, the stylist piece, the buyer piece, the price points, you know, where are you bringing people in and then being able to engage them once you bring stuff in, do you bring in, is it customer led? Do you ask the customer, Oh, Hey, what do you, what, what do you want me to pick up for you? I'm going, you know, out to the shows this week. All that stuff is, is things that you can bring in with those skills. So I, it, this is very helpful to think about that. Right. And I think, you know, it's it's almost like a paid internship. Agreed. You know, you know, you kind of have to look it's at things that It's not paid a way. lot. That's one thing we should say. It's not always right. paid a lot because it's small business and you're kind of trying to figure it out. But if if someone who's successful, they're going to pay you if you're good, whatever they can, yeah. you know. Exactly. I laugh because when I was growing up and there were internships, they weren't paid. I know. <laughs> I look now and all there's, there's all these paid internships and they're paid well. And I'm like, you kids are very lucky. <laughs> We've been talking about this because, you know, I'm obviously, I'm not always talking to someone who's 18 because we're, you know, trying to, you know, uncover what's available. So we've been talking about this and uh, believe me, several, several of us have all said the same thing. There was just not that option, which I think it's, it's good now though, too, because it does kind of give an unfair advantage, if you will. If you have, if you have parents who can support you while you're, you know, in your unpaid internship and, you know, many of us have been fortunate in different ways, that's great. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, like that's not it's just not great that you you know have to pass up those opportunities because you have to actually have a job that pays you during the summer so that you can afford to keep going to school etc etc so and it's you know free labor and it's really not right the way that they used to be able to do it I think so oh um, exactly and think about you're just graduating school which is right the hefty bill Hey, yeah. you're in you're in so much debt, but can you take this free job? Exactly. <laughs> oh, and then that's just what you should do. You know, like that's no, yeah. that's just what people do. Of course, you're going to take it, and don't worry, it'll pay off in the end. But it's like, well, you know, it would you as a banker could appreciate. You know, it would pay off a lot more as if I had some money right now to invest yeah. for the next An thirty-five years. Job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so when you're um, working in this boutique, it's a I'm imagining it's a women's boutique. Is it? Yes, it's all women. It's a small, like high end stuff, or what? Like, uh, where? Mid level. Mid level, I'd say. Um, like maybe I'd some, say some brand dresses. idea. Like, are there brands that you that you remember working with? Oh yeah. Did you ever hear of uh, Frank Lyman or Joseph Ribkoff or Jay um, Gual, I'm sure. No. Heard of those? Not that no? one. I didn't do clothes, so I don't. I'm not on the clothing side. So they're these they're actually um, designers who only go to boutiques. You can't nice. buy them online. Oh, this is, is nice. nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
So they have great stuff. I mean, they have formal wear, they have uh, everyday wear, they have where to work wear. Um, I'd say price points range from, you know, a really nice jacket for $200 to a pair of pants for about $50. Oh, nice. Really good sweet yeah. spot. Yeah, okay, so it's all, it ranges from everything. everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is that business still in business? You know, I I moved out of Colorado about five years ago, so I'm not sure. Okay. I haven't, and I'm terrible. I don't have Facebook or anything, so I wouldn't even know. Right. Exactly. I'm just thinking for people to to know that there are boutiques like that pretty much in every market, and not maybe not run that well or whatnot. But I I I just think that that's a it's a good way to express your love of people is to work in yeah. in retail. And when I started doing that, I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do for my life. I love this. This is amazing. Um, You know, I think we talked about this in the suite at the Pens game. But, I mean, some people might say it's shallow. But when you put an outfit on somebody that looks good, fits right, and they just feel, you see them smile, and you know they feel amazing, and they give them that confidence, there's just no better feeling in the whole world so I'm thinking this is what I want to do this is where I want to be but as time and time went on and Nordstrom's came around and the internet came around I learned that it is hard you really have to have something special to stay in business and Um, even when you have something special it's it is like you said like i in the past, because that's when I was, you know, in the space also, those that last few years. And I, I'm just going to go on record, I guess, and say it. I think China has ruined retail in so many ways for, um, for business owners, but also for consumers. I think it's just really, it's, it, it's just hurt just the, the art piece, the value add piece, all that has just been really diluted, I think, by the right. amount of stuff, just stuff that comes in now. Right. And to your point, even the H&Ms and the Forever 21s, I mean, they're great. I'm not knocking Agreed. them. Agreed. Yes. But, but they, you know, traditionally you had a spring line, a fall line, a summer line, a winter line. They're putting out lines every two weeks, three yep. weeks, every exactly. month. Yep. So they kind of changed the industry. So now we need to continue to have this merchandise and updating this merchandise in our boutiques. And if you just can't compete, you can't exactly. afford it. Yeah. You can't afford it. I mean, you, you know, so it's between that and between the internet. And then when, when these boutiques find a really good brand that people really like that fits well, it's just amazing. Nordstrom is on it. They of know course. about it and then they bring it in and they can sell it cheaper. So, as much as I love this boutique and as much as I loved doing that, I thought, hmm, maybe, maybe this isn't a forever career. Maybe this isn't what I'm going to be doing. Um, so just so let me long- ask you too, but, in, mm-hmm. but in, okay, because you love this, but mm-hmm. okay, as an artist, you're not necessarily getting, I'm just trying to figure out where, where the intersection is. Were you always just a 
a people person? Were you always that girl who was like, let's invite everyone to the party and let's make sure that, you know, everyone has a gift and let's make sure that we have the right music. You know, you know, these people, I'm, I'm yeah. this person. I don't say it that I, way, I, but I am, I'm definitely <laughs> that person. Like, let's make sure that everyone feels great and is really happy here and all that kind of stuff. Yes. So how are you expressing this? I only am asking so that, you know, people out there can identify if I'm 16, 17, 18 and, and like you, like I, perhaps I love art or I love this about myself. And I really want to just be able to keep um, being able to express the essence of me. And I think as we go, uh, the more of these conversations that I have, the more I get that your essence is there. And then it's a matter of finding you not changing. Not, I mean, there's ways that we all need to change and grow, right? But not changing who you are and finding the piece that fits for you, not you trying to change yourself a thousand ways to fit into someone else's piece. So how, what are you like as a kid? Like, who are you? So that someone else can say like, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm that person. You know, I've, I, I did ballet. I did horseback riding. I did soccer. I did camps, art camps, real camps, sleepaway camps, horseback riding camps. Um, I started in a private school and then I went to a public school and a uh, private school, elementary public school and middle school. And I just, I've, I'm always been around people and I love getting to know people and uh, I've been in camps where or schools where I'm the only person I know and I have to make friends and it's just I enjoy it I love people I love meeting people and hearing their stories and I've just always been that person and I laugh you be at a laugh because you say uh, are you the person that includes everybody? Yes. At lunchtime to this day, I'm like, who wants to come to lunch? And I invite all these people and they might not be the people that are there and might not all interact the same way. And they kind of are like, well, I thought we were having lunch. And it's like the more the merrier. And, and some people don't have that same attitude, but I do. And I sometimes get in trouble because people don't like that. Right. Exactly. And I can't exactly. wrap my head around That it, person but... is out there and she's inviting everyone to lunch and she's getting looks. And I want her to know that, that there <laughs> are ways to express that, that are going to be awesome. Right. In a, in a career setting. I totally, I totally, I'm shy. So I don't, I don't have that whole piece, but I, I love that. I, and I see you as just, I mean, we met in the suite and it was like, boom, 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 like little fireworks going off because um, <laughs> you just bring this energy. Like, you know, you're really like, you're very positive, exciting, but like fun and all that. You have a lot of energy, you know, just, just in you. Right. I, I just, I got that sense. Yes, I do. And I just, you know, I do. And then I guess to circle back everything to to your point was, you know, I did the art education and I did the boutique work and now I'm in finance and I think with the, and I waited tables. Um, but I think the underlying thing there is I just, I'm interacting with people and I'm getting to know them. And so while I'm, while this whole time I was trying to figure out what my career is, the underlying passion has always been there and it's working with people hearing their stories helping them and just bringing a smile to their face that's that's what that's what makes me happy I'm definitely that person to walk the old lady across the street or uh, if somebody drops something pick it up or if somebody loses their wallet I won't hand it over to the store because I don't trust that they'll give them all their cash back I will seek them out and make sure they get every single penny in that wallet because I know I can only trust myself to know that 
they're going to get back. So, Right. I, I love, love this about your story because exactly. I'm thinking when you're an art, when you're an art teacher, you, that's helping people. And then, like you said, so, uh, I'm, I don't know, I guess if you're a teacher, you just have this, but you know, maybe you just are like, well, whatever, we don't have the supplies. We'll figure something else out or we won't figure it out or we'll just watch a movie today. But you're like, no, 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 we got to go get the supplies. We have to get the right supplies. We have to get the supplies that are, you're going to do great with because then you're going to love art. And if you have the crappy supplies, you might not love it as much or you not, might not be able to see what your real talent is, which is true, right? I mean, good tools right. make, you know, good practitioners. But yeah, so you take that and then same thing going into and probably even getting this job in the boutique. You got it because you'd been in there like, you know, charming and smart and happy and like loving everything that's there and then being able to express that in that way and I a thousand percent get what you're saying about working in the stylist arena because if you if you can see I mean there's certain skills that that you probably have as a stylist I don't have necessarily these same skills but um but when you see it put all together for someone, and this is in any case, if you have the skills to say, put together an amazing trust that someone else would never have conceived of, like that's awesome and amazing. If it's the same thing, like an outfit, it doesn't even matter what, you know, what it is, whether it's a trust or an outfit or I don't know, a hockey play. Uh, it's all, <laughs> it's all just a great expression of who you are and the way to give to other people. So this is for sure the, I see it. The common theme for you is people's narratives, you know, working with people, but helping them, supporting them, being their champion, you know, being their, you know, cheerleader and just bringing out the best in people. So, okay. So what happens then from this boutique experience, which again is an awesome way to, or even retail, I'm just going to say that mm -hmm. retail at any level, um, you know, working at a great, you know, place like Nordstrom's in terms of the sales training, any place you can get, it hurts. I mean, hurts, enterprise, all these places have really good customer service training. And I think that there's a tremendous value in that. If you're sitting there saying like, I really have no idea what I'm going to do. Just do something, just do something that you're going to get trained because there are people there to help you. So how do you go, how do you get into banking? So I um, moved from the boutique and worked at a high-end um, How long fashion. were you at the boutique? How many years? I was at the boutique for about a year and a half, two years, and then I moved over to St. John Knit. Oh, um, okay. Mm -hmm. Worked over there, different demographic, but... Um, How did that... They, did they pull you in or did you... Were you in the process of, I want to do this for my career, so I'm going to you know, change the game a little bit? That's exactly right. I took took my career into my own hands and kind of was like, okay, I did this. I, I learned what I could from here. You know, financially, I need to make a little bit more, and you know, I need to see what else is out there. I learned how the how to do it, um, mom and pop style. Let's see how corporate does it. Now, this is before I learned I wasn't going to be there. But long story short, I was working there. Um, the manager was leaving. I was applying for the manager position. I thought I was going to get it. And this is again, after I've been there for, you know, a year or so, thought I was going to get it. Um, but I didn't, they hired somebody else. And I just thought, well, well now what am I going to do? I can't stay here anymore. And <laughs> right. I can't stay if I'm not going to be the manager. Yeah. I mean, I know it sounds silly, but it's like, you oh, know, the last it's manager was there for yeah. 10, 15 years. When am I going to wait 10, 15 years for that position to open up? Of course not. And then this is when I started realizing, okay, this isn't for me. So, um, again, here I am, entry level, applying for jobs like crazy. I'm living in Denver. This is, you know, after. Is Denver where you came. went to school? Is that the connection? 
Virginia, actually. I My roommate from school moved to de- September after college. I went to visit her and fell in love with it. I mean, it's just gorgeous. Must, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. So anyway, I am applying for jobs. I'm applying for jobs. They just legalized pot. 10,000 people are moving to Colorado every month. I mean, that was the statistic. Rent was going up. Everything was going crazy. I'm competing against all these people to get a job. And I couldn't get it. I could get inside sales and that's it. And I thought, this isn't, this isn't what I want. So I'm on vacation with my family and I'm looking around and I'm like, oh, I miss my family. I miss vacation with them. I miss being with them. I miss seeing them. I miss my friends. So I kind of just was like, you know what? I'm going to move back to Pittsburgh, see what's there. And, And really it's not about what you know, it's who you know. I know that sounds terrible, but it's just true. And I'm from Pittsburgh and I it's know it's definitely Pittsburgh. true for a people person. I yeah. Guess, I mean, for sure. Yeah. Because you know what? My whole thing was I just needed an interview and I knew I'd get myself in, but it was getting that interview. So I ended up moving home, which was the best decision ever because uh, my, my father ended up getting sick and I got to be here with him and it was just a blessing. I'm so happy. Everything worked out the way it did and I got to move home. But I'm applying for jobs and applying for jobs. And again, it's still hard. And my stepfather introduced me uh, to this woman who worked at the financial institution I work at now. Uh, she was very high up, very involved. And, you know, he, he was like, why don't you talk to her? She's very successful. Why don't you talk to her and see what she does? So we have lunch and, I, and she's like, tell me about you. Who are you? And we're just talking and you know, basically, I'm like, what do you think I should do? Should I go back to college? Should I, I mean, my resume doesn't reflect who I am as a worker. I excel to the top right away. Like, I'm just kind of lost. What do you think? And we just had a great lunch. We talked about me. We talked about her. We talked about our family, how her daughter was in a similar situation. Just had a wonderful lunch. And she says to me, why don't you email me your resume after this? And I'm so naive because I just had such a good time talking to her. I'm thinking she's going to like beef up my resume, make it look better. Totally. (laughs) Absolutely. I think she's going to take like, okay, we're going to, we're going to market your resume. So we're going to take like art history and we're going to say that you're like a, I don't even know, like an art specialist viewer and you really don't want to do something so they can be more concrete. I would think the same thing completely. That's exactly what I'm thinking. But um, no, she gave my resume. To the president of the bank or the board of directors or something, right? Yeah, she gave my she gave my uh, she gave my resume to the regional manager who oversaw all the branch Pittsburgh bank branches, and uh, he called me in the next day and said, "Want to interview for this job?" I said, "I don't know anything about banking." He said, "I can I can teach you banking, but I can't teach your customer skill services. I can't touch." I can't teach that you're a people person. So he said, uh, come in for the interview. So I came in for the interview. It's like exactly what I thought. He said, they hired me right on the spot. So I said, okay, great. So I started in this branch that's in a college, you know, the college area in Pittsburgh called the South Side. And I just worked my way up really well, quickly. Well, you started as a teller then? So what did he put you in as? To start. Um, so not the teller, but you know when you go into the banks and they're the people in the cubicle desks yep. that open up your accounts? That's what I did. 
And sometimes they're super helpful. And sometimes I think they should get a different job. So I hope you were the one of the people who was super helpful because I have had mixed, very mixed experiences with the people's in the, the people in the cubicles. But well, yeah, they'll help I, you with other stuff. Like if it's not, if you're not just depositing a check or yeah. right, getting cash out or whatever, then they yeah. help you. Okay. Like you said, if you need a credit card or you need to open another account or you need to figure something. Yeah. So I started like that and I consider myself one of the helpful people. I think so. Cause I, I kind of moved up the ladder pretty quickly. Once Good. I got and we know that you're, I'm sure you were helpful, but <laughs> I'm sure you're really I'm helpful. I'm going to put it out there. If I started as a teller, I would have, I would have quit because. Okay. And let's talk about that because. people have the hardest jobs. I and just it's a very different job. It's so different from what, from what you're doing. Even sitting in the cubicle is a very different job because the cubicle person is. Art really like interacting with everyone. Hey, how are you doing? Da, da, da. And the teller, yes, they're interacting. And I'm sure they're taught to do that now, but they've just got a job to do. They're transactions. They're transactions. But what people don't know is they are the forefront for fraud. And oh, they yes. Oh, yeah. Every check and every part, like, you know, they have so, it, they're friendly and they're having a conversation, with, but what they're doing behind the scenes is so much more. I mean, they are making sure you're, you are who you are. Your signature match. You are, yeah. You are actually on this account, and where did this check come from? Are you? Because some people, sometimes people will deposit fraud checks, and they don't even know it. They think it's a real check, so they do so much. So we've had that in our business, yeah. Yeah. So I just want to tell people, you know, those tellers have it really hard, and they do not make very much. So when you, when they're asking you questions, and you're kind of annoyed, and you think why are you asking me about my personal business? They're only doing it to protect you. And honestly, they'll get fired if they don't do it. So just be a little kinder to them and know that um, that's a hard job. I would not be where I am now if that's where I started because that job is just too hard. So just want to put that out there. I love it. It's a customer service announcement. No, I, I what do they call that? Public <laughs> service, and a PSA. Um, no, I love it because I'm one of those Do you people. want me to make and that I'm... annoying sound real quick? <laughs> 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 exactly. Well, ding, 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 ding. What is it? Something like that. Yeah, if I'm a musician, I like, know better. It's but... high pitch and terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's good, but it's recognizable. See, good branding. We're both like, yep, yeah. There's a ding, 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 ding. Uh, but yeah, but here's the thing. So I'm one of those. I am. I'm one of those what annoying, busy people. And I'm not like, oh, I'm so busy, blah blah blah, because I kind of get like that's I'm like no, like that's not what it is. It's just like I kind of really have a like a lot of thoughts in my head all the day. So I love going to the tellers who I know for exactly this reason because I know when I walk in and I have my debit card and I've got my ID and ding 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 and I can get in and get out quickly. And then if I have to go to a different branch, it is like sometimes because I get we have what, five or six different accounts. I get cashier's checks. I deposit cash. I, you know, we do a lot of different transactions. So they probably are looking at me with my hat on and my yoga pants, right? Because I'm always like looking like I, I just need to be going to the gym. I don't know if I have or not. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that's a really helpful point. And also to people who, you know, when you're thinking about, cause I think that is a very visible job. And if you're going into, uh, even out of college or, you know, if you decide to defer college or to do whatever you're doing and you want to go and be, you know, some, your, your parents would say like, why don't you just go get a job at the bank? I could totally see parents saying this. And then you go and get a job at the bank and you get a job as a teller. And then if you're like you, 
who has like incredible skills in other ways and you get that teller job, which is meant for someone with skills in that way, then you're dissatisfied, disenfranchised and you leave and then you miss out on this entire wealth of career that's available in a banking institution, which is, there's so many amazing jobs in banking oh, and in finance. so much community marketing, corporate institutional banking, retail banking. I mean, there's so much. It's not, it's a, it's a real business. It's not just banking. There's, you know, we have to operate too. So there's behind this, behind the scenes, back office work. There's so much management, you know, there's just so much that goes within the bank regulations oh my god if your person is like loves to read and, and make an audit so that's a whole job in itself so yeah there's a lot more to the bank than just those branches which yeah. people i don't think understand uh, well i didn't help. understand right exactly and i think you can't yeah, probably even while you're in there now you, there's so many things that you don't even know that are available you know like it's just it's really hard and so that's why i love having you on here today because we can just really get a sense of all the things that are completely available. Um, so when this regional manager, I just want to get back to that a little bit to talk about these customer service skills. So when that regional manager has you in and he says, you know, I, I can teach you banking, but I can't teach the customer skills. Well, one is, did was he able to successfully teach you banking? And two is, do you think that's true? Do you think that there are those of us who have something about just that people orientation that is not teachable i do i think that is like the a one phrase the one phrase that really sticks out for me i think he's so right and i don't think it just applies to banking if you're like me and you're a people person any job they can teach you that they taught me the banking if you want to sell anything really it's 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 about being a people person and talking to people and and getting out there or, or whatever the job is, you can learn what the job is specifically. It's just but those skills you can't teach. You can't make somebody talk to somebody. And, and that's a little joke I always say, like self-awareness is so huge. I can't stand when people are in customer service jobs and they hate people. It's like, why are you here? Oh, gosh. Yes. <laughs> why are you completely. here? Like, especially when they make tips, you're like, you do know you work for tips, right? <laughs> <laughs> Although the problem is tips are now just assumed, but exactly. But the idea would be you could get a bigger tip even than, yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that's like shame on the manager who hired that person, you know, shame on you because there well, are so many people though. out there. Uh, yeah, I guess. I, I don't know, but there's so many people out there. I think maybe I just think this way. Cause I think this way, but who can, who can do the customer who love people? They're people. Right. people. Or maybe they were the opposite of me. Maybe their resume was impeccable. But they good don't point. have people skills. So. That's actually a super good point, too, because how do you even – and when you're saying, like, I, I don't know how to make my resume look a certain way, I, I struggle with that, too. Like, how on my resume, how would I say that I love people? Like, I'm, people's narratives yeah. inspire me incredibly. Like, I could sit here and talk to you all day long about what your life is, what your first dog was, why you chose oh made God. this choice or that choice. I love reading biographies about people. I love people's narratives. I'm just, I'm inspired by it. I'm engaged by it. I'm, you know, energized by it. But how do you put that on a resume? Like, how would you put the stuff that it's you that have now? It's that little section, communication skills. <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah, ability to communicate with all levels of employees and workers, you know, high-level management, mid-level, blah, 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 you know. Yeah, exactly. It gets overlooked, but um, he saw that. He recognized that. She saw that. I mean, she recognized that. And, 
it really was the foundation. And so I climbed the levels. I got into wealth management. I'm a banking advisor now. I'm currently studying um, for the uh, to be a certified financial planner, oh, which gotcha. is the hardest test ever, let me just tell you. So basically, I would be proficient in all those buckets we were talking about earlier, and I would be able to help people. And Is the um, CFP I mean, one test, though, or is it a series? It's one test. I oh. wish it was series. I yeah. wish to God, I wish it was series because it would. It's so much information, and there's well, only you didn't come from the background of that, right? Yeah, right. You didn't it's come. You so didn't have an undergrad in finance or accounting or something. So I, yeah, that's then you have to, right? You have to get even to that, and then right. you have to put together all the so other buckets. Right. So I'm teaching myself everything from scratch, and it's so hard. It's so complex, but when it's done and when I pass, it'll be so worth it. Because once you have it, you have it. Right. And then I'll be able to get to help. I'll be able to help everybody. And, and I aspire to be that relationship manager. But I've actually, I had this idea, actually, since the last time we talked. And I don't know if I should tell you everybody because they might steal my idea. But no, just- my new thing on ideas, Sarah, is to tell everybody. I'm, I'm writing a book about all my ideas. And I'm just going to say, just please, somebody do them. Because either I'm going to do it or you're going to do it. And I'm probably going to be too busy to do it. So you're going to do it. But I, I just think it's better if we just put them out there. Yeah. Because <laughs> people, you know no what? one's going to take it. No one's going to do it. They're it's just going to be like, oh, well, that's a really great everyone, idea. Right. And it's a big world and everyone can do this. Of course. So after learning how much I love helping people and being around people, I also love the whole, and you know this because we talked on our own about this. I love the whole health and wellness. A world and the aspect and helping people. And so I thought, you know, there are these, at one point I thought, should I go into, I love nutrition and health and helping people. And I love being around people. And I thought, hmm, maybe should I go into that instead? And should I drop everything? And should I go into nutrition? And then I thought to myself, no, I'm not going to start all over. What I think, and here's my idea. So I really want to work in a wellness center like atmosphere, the calm music, bettering people's lives, making people happy and confident. And I'm thinking, how can I bridge what I'm doing now with that? And I thought, well, what's the number one stress in people's lives? Finances, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking, so my idea, my my goal is I want to get that CFP, that's what it stands for, CFP, Certified Financial Planner. And then I was speaking with a coworker. There's actually a certified financial therapist certification that I can get. That's my next goal. And then once I have those, I want to try to get into these wellness centers. Right now, these wellness centers are fitness, health, uh, fitness, you know, mind health, body health, nutrition. But why not add that finance? aspect that I is love this a holistic oh, yeah. view of your entire wellness what that piece is missing and so I thought once I have these credentials I think if I go to these wellness centers and p- p- proposition this to them I think it'll make them they'll be more I will look more credible to them to, to actually do this but I really find it to be very important. And I now this is my passion and this is what I want to do. And I think there's something we said for the people out there who do have financial planners and do have investment portfolios and have 
this, what you know is right now I work for the bank and, you know, my interest is the bank. And what I'm telling you, while what I am telling my clients, I have a fiduciary responsibility to do what's right for them. And I always will first and foremost before the bank. Mm-hmm. But in this, that being said, I still work for the bank and everything I'm doing is within the bank. But if I do this through this wellness center, I'm not, I would, I'm thinking I'm be paid within like a doctor's visit. So the advice I'm giving you is completely uh, unbiased. If I tell you to go here to invest and do this and this and this, it's because I am telling you what I want you to do for you, not what's going to make me a penny. Mm-hmm. Right. I get that. I totally get that. And I think your clients get that too when we're, you know, working in that setting. That's why it's like, okay, well, I'll do this little piece with you, this piece with them and that kind of thing. Right. I think that's something deep down. People like listen to these these financial advisors and I think they listen and they want and they, they're listening and they want to give them advice. But I think deep down, everybody has that in their stomach. Well, are they telling me what I need to know? Or are they telling me what's going to make them a buck? Right. And yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. And it's, a, it's, it's, you know, it's their job to go out and, you know, find other people. You know, it's, it's hard. The, the industry is just hard to navigate. It is. And, and, you know, my firm where, where I work is, honestly, we have, we, we're not like that. I mean, we I would agree. I, and the, I mean, I, we told a client the other day who's looking for, a con, we don't do construction loans. Um, I so I, we flat out told the client, you know, I can't do a construction loan. I can do a portfolio line of credit, but go out and look, go out into the market and find people who do construction loans, see what their rates are, see if they can beat me. They do do this. I don't offer it, but other people do. So look into that too. I will always do what's best for my clients. Um, so, so let me ask you this, but on the wellness center, just, and I know we're kind of thinking, well, maybe not within the bank, but does, does your bank have any kind of, um, a wellness officer within the bank who works with like employees and, you know, just wants to make sure I know that I have a, I had a friend who worked in at Goldman Sachs and she was, she's like a personal trainer and she was some kind of a wellness advisor within the bank. And her yeah. job was just to make sure that all the employees were happy and, you know, engaged and had their exercise programs because that makes sense for an employer. So I'm wondering if, if your bank has this, because what I'm thinking is a start. This is why this podcast is so much fun. So a, a start would be, <laughs> what if you, um, what if you could get your CFP, you get your CFT and you go to the bank and you're like, Hey, look, we're missing a huge product offering. One of the things that we could be offering to small businesses or larger businesses is this um, financial therapy. And I can lead teams um, to go into these businesses and put together a product. I can put together a digital app. I can put together this that links in with our our banking app. So it has the whole, you know, like here's your bank account. Here's this, da, da, da. And here's your overall wellness score for your life. Like you got this workout in, you got it, you know, could kind of put everything together and you could have a product that you sell that then you could say, okay, now I've done this or, or you make your own company and then you sell it to your bank and then your bank sells it to other people or whatever. But, um, you could make that like a real business. Yeah. I mean, I love that idea too. And we do have a wellness, uh, department where, you know, we have checklists if you do certain things, if you get your blood work in, you're going to get $300 to your HSA and benefits along that. And, you know, um, we partner with certain major gyms and they will uh, give you benefits towards that. But 
So that's totally an area too. That's another like idea I didn't even think of. I could go that route. Um, but for Just to me get started perfect, as you're like yeah. figuring out how you want to put together your piece of it. I always Completely. think, how can I use, how can I leverage the resources that are already out there before I'm putting more, more of my skin in this game, you know, because my skin's already going to all be in the game. And so what can I learn? Cause like you're saying, like you go to the boutique, you learn, right? You're just, it's right. on the job training. So how can you learn essentially quote unquote for free, but while getting paid and then figuring out ways that that you would want to do something like that. I think you're, you're so right. And this is helpful too, for people who are, you know, you have the whole customer experience, you maybe, or maybe you love banking, but you, you know, work out a lot and you kind of want to put your life together <laughs> on both of those pieces. There, there's always another way to think about the way that your career is going or the way that your life looks always. Right. Right. So I just think it's just like a holistic view of your entire life. And we all want to live the best life we can. And I, that brings me joy in being able to help somebody live that life. And, um, and then just personally, finance is a very stressful industry. I mean, my, I was checking my emails while I was at the doctor. She came in and gave my blood pressure. They were like, your blood pressure is through the roof. Now, that being said, I work out religiously. I eat super healthy. Like, it's not my normal blood pressure blood pressure it's this job it's stressful it's demanding it's everything needs done yesterday so this is where I kind of came on working in one of those wellness centers because I want to work in that zen atmosphere I want to work with the waterfalls in the in the office and that you know transient music. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm thinking I have a friend who works down at Deep Deepak Chopra in uh, San Diego. Maybe we'll see you down there, but that's uh, she's an accountant. Oh, <laughs> just, I hear but, great but things about San Diego. <laughs> totally, right? But it's exactly the same kind of idea that you're talking about. Like you can be an accountant and work in an environment like like that. You can choose your different environments. Um, let me ask you just really quickly on on your email because I want to get a sense of like your your hours too. Like just even with this, like how do you think when you're thinking about doing different transitions? Are you a nine to fiver, a nine to niner, uh, an all nighter? Like how does it work? <laughs> what are your commitments? Like what is your well, what is your little signature on your phone say? Like available twenty four seven or don't call me after nine or like what is it? What does it look like? Well, I leave that out. <laughs> <laughs> but um, someone so is, is going to call you. Right. But basically the Fed is open from eight to four. So technically I'm in business from eight to four. Uh, that being said, I'm on call all the time. I give my, my clients, my cell phone number. I'm always checking my email. And, and I think, so I'm, I'm always available to my clients. Um, how many but clients I, do you have when you say that? Like how many people would so, have, how many clients would have your cell phone number to text you? Like, hey, Sarah, I lost my credit card and I'm in India. So I give them, so I give my cell phone number out to the clients as I, well, let me go backwards. I have my call forwarding from my work line to my cell phone. So right. I'm always available. Um, that being said, as I get to know my clients and I know who they are and I trust them, I will give them my cell phone number. Um, and put them in my phone. Um, and then, but I have, so I don't really have an exact person number, but I have 150, no, I'm sorry, 200 relationships. So that means, you know, one relationship could be one person or it could be a mom, a dad, a grandparent, all the aunts and uncles and all the siblings. So it 
relationship could be very small or very large, but I have 200 relationships. Okay. So when you go into work, they expect you to be in at what time? Uh, luckily I have some freedom. Um, but I, I get there about, I get there, I would say about eight fifteen. Um, that being said, I'm wake up at six o'clock in the morning and I'm checking my emails and sending emails out from there. Super helpful information. Yeah. Okay. So you are in the office at eight fifteen, but you're working from the time you get up. Pretty much. And that being said, I do a lot of client facing meetings. So I'm in and out of the office all the time. So if I'm not there at 815, it's because I'm, you know, have a 10 o'clock meeting in, you know, somewhere. So I work from home in the morning and then I shoot out to the 10 o'clock meeting and then I'll come back to the office or vice versa if it's later in the afternoon. So I'm all over the place, but because of technology, I am always available. Email, cell phone, Skype for business. So I am all I am always available to anybody when they should ever need me. And that would only be amped up in the relationship manager role. Yes. Um. Or well. That, well. So yes and no. I think as a banker, um, we are more as a private banker. We do more on a day to day basis where an investment advisor, you know, there you're really checking in with your investment advisor, your trust officer or your wealth planner. You're kind of only checking in with them like once a quarter. Yeah. So like or tax time or like, yeah, yeah, I could see or that. Or if something comes up and you have something specific, but think about your banking every day. To, you know, you, there's a transaction you don't see. You need to open up a new account. You need to open up a state account. Your online banking's working. This check didn't go through. Can you put a, you know, there's so much. Or then if we're going to do a lending, you know, if we're going to do a home equity line of credit, if anybody out there's ever done a mortgage or a home equity, you know, it's not just, oh, we're going to put this application in and we're done. Not anymore. We ask, yeah, we ask for all these documentation and then the underwriter looks at them and then they want all this more documentation and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So, a lot of what I do is, and then wire transfers, oh my goodness, wire transfers. I mean, talk about fraud. That's something you re can't just, it's something that needs done immediately, but it's something you really got to watch because that's where fraud comes through most of all. And anybody who's selling a house out there, if you don't know this already, there is a big, big, big movement where they know you're selling a house, they get into your email, and when it comes time to closing, they hijack the real closing documents and put in their information. <gasps> so please, yeah. You mean to, under the wiring instructions? Yeah. Like that? So okay, this is why my my uh, tax attorney a long time ago, even with the IRS and everything, he said just never do anything uh, wired, digital. He said you always get a paper check. Always get a check, oh, you know, and even like thing. filing your taxes and stuff. But I was like, well, even now we've had check fraud like plenty of times. Oh. You know, well, in our businesses. I can't believe checks are even a real thing. If you think right. about it, what's on the check? Your name, your address, your business name, or if it's a consumer, and then what's at the bottom of that check, people? It's your routing and account number. Yes. Out in the open. I'm exactly. shocked that they haven't figured out a way to make codes on the bottom. I mean, you're handing your account information to everybody you hand a check to. So it's like, it blows my mind. But so my lesson is, people with the wires, is whoever you're working with to do it, confirm on both ends. Always call the number that you know is what you've been working with or what's on the internet. Don't use a number that's on the wire information. 
Um, and just be very careful. And if you're working with someone through email, always use secured emails. And if they don't offer a secured email, then fax it or deliver it by mail. That is, see, and this is the kind of stuff that you know this because you're in this industry. Like, I, I mean, I know this because I used to do legal stuff. So I'm like, you know, hyper vigilant on the legal side and then looking for everything and thinking how would that get, how would they get around this and everything, but I'm not a criminal. So I'm not, thinking, <laughs> I'm not thinking right. about all the ways that you could commit a crime this way. So that's, that's actually super helpful because there's so much fraud. There's so many ways to get around it. Uh, I'm, I'm shocked that you can just like legitimately take in a check at that, like you're saying, it kind of has a scribble at the bottom. You kind of write your name in, in it and you go and you cash, you know, a $20,000 check and, and no one says like, Oh, this is weird. You've never cashed a check here. You've never deposited a check here more than $120. But now you have a $20,000 check. Isn't that strange from a from a business that is in another state? That's odd. You know, like we've had and this happen. Yeah, and that's exactly back to what I was saying about the tellers. Like, that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing when they're accepting that check. That's what they're doing when they're asking you all those questions. So even though it's just a friendly conversation and you're like, either this person's crabby or this person's the nicest person I've ever met in the world. That's what they're doing. That's I feel like they should doing. wear a different outfit. I feel like now, now that I know that, I would market them differently. So I would have the, the first person come in to be the, the welcome, how are you? How's everything? Great. You got your deposit all in order. Okay, now I'm going to send you into the clink. And here you go. <laughs> you're going now and you're going into the prison. <laughs> and just you know, slide the tray under through the, through the little line there and then get out as soon as you can. Because... That would that would kind of make them right different. Like they don't now they don't have the job of being like pleasant and all that to me. They could just be all business back there, which is seems right. like what they need. Yeah, completely. Okay, but you are. I just want to give a sense to this whole conversation as we like come in and out and close out and close. You know, start and finish is um, the demands of your job right now are quite extensive, but you uh, but it's energizing in the way that you're working with people. So if you're a people person, you can kind of offload a little bit of that stress because of the emails and the, you know, I get that because what you probably get 15 things in an hour that you, oh. that all have to be done within the hour. Yesterday. Yeah. yeah. I always say it needs done yesterday. So it's stressful. I have amazing assistant, amazing support. Um, I could not do my job without her. I spoil her as much as I can. So she never leaves me. Um, but it's very stressful. It's very time consuming. And I'm sorry that I'm all over the place, but back to, to bring no, it back. For sure. This is that's how these conversations how, go. That's how I kind of got to wanting to do this in a wellness center. I wanted to build upon what I already knew, know and build upon my foundations. But I want to work in a Zen atmosphere. I want to work in a healthy atmosphere for myself, um, just as much as I preach to, to the people I help and want to make their lives better. I want my life to be. Um, the best life that it can be too. And if I have to go to work every day, I don't want to go to a place where I'm stressed and crazy because believe it or not, like I, as, as much as I say, I, you know, I work to live, I don't live to work, but we're going every day. And with technology, we're working 24 seven now. So you have to work and you have to do it. You, you have to work to live, but you also have to live to work because that's where we're at. We're, we're connected 24 seven. So now I just want to make that something I love and something I enjoy. And I want it to be in an atmosphere that's good for me and my soul and my well-being. Right. I, I totally get that. Well, and that's, that's all part of the evolution of life and it's part of the evolution of career and you don't have to choose something for your entire life. And 
you know, you, you serve your employers or the people that you're working with, you know, during that time that you're working and then you keep growing and keep evolving and keep serving people. So I think that's, that's really the key. So let me ask you as we, as we close out and think about all the, because I think you help so many in so many ways in looking at, you know, how do you leverage your people skills? How do you, you know, go across industries and how do you even move up within your industry using the skills that you have? And then like now you're having to kind of back, backfill your CFP and all that kind of stuff. And I get that. That'll, that'll definitely happen. Um, is there something that you would have done differently, even from like looking, I, I like to give people an idea of here's, here's something that I look at that I, I wouldn't make this, I don't want to say necessarily a mistake, but I wouldn't use this experience this way. Would you have done anything differently from the time um, that you were in college with that art, uh, art degree transferring into, you know, teaching and then going into boutique and not like so differently, like, oh, I did it all wrong or whatever, but was there a couple, any couple little things that could have been tweaked? Um, so I don't want to look at it, I guess for me, I don't look at it as something I'd want to tweak because uh, I could have tweaked everything. I mean, you know, I could have tweaked the whole thing. Right. Yeah, so exactly. the way it could be a totally I, different life. Right. I totally, yeah. I mean, one point I was like, I should have been a veterinarian. I should have yes. done this. I should have done this. But I guess the way I look at it is not what I would have tweaked. If I guess I wish, I wish my life would have been different. How should I say it? I guess what what my difference would be is I wish I knew what I wanted to be when I was a kid, where I could have went to college for that, got a job right out of college for that paid internship, <laughs> uh, and then just built my career straight out of college and then like hit the ground running. Um, so that being said, if, if I could have done something differently, I just wish that I would have known that and, and, and went that route. Um, but Would you have deferred college to do that route? Do you think, um, you know, because I talked to a lot of people. So do you think um, and plenty of people are in college clueless? So do you think there's any value? Would it have been valuable to you at all to defer college and, you know, work on your art and then go to college later when you had more? I don't know. What would you what would you have even done? Um, well, you know, what I would guess, you have even done? I guess. I think college is really important. And I think back when I was went to school, I thought for me, I was like, you just need the piece of paper to get it. And then you can get whatever job. Now I feel like you kind of need a set skill. You need to not I only agree. go to business school, but you need to have a specific thing within business school that you're yep. going to that sets you apart from the rest. So it's really changed. So I guess my thing is, I guess, yeah, if you don't know what the expenses of school, my advice would be just get out of high school, travel. I think travel is very important. I Go think. do things while you have no responsibilities yet. Get out there, see the world, travel, come back. If you still don't know what you want to do, then get a job. Get a job doing whatever. I mean, seriously, whatever. Get a job and start seeing how it works when you're providing for yourself, seeing how, how, how you provide yourself, what do you need to do? What do you want for yourself? And what are your passions starting to be that you want to get a job? And then once you figure that out, then go to school for that and go to school for that specifically and set yourself apart from the rest of the masses who are also going to school. If you don't need to go to school, if you can't afford to go to school, then figure out what you need to do as in going to, like I went to that boutique, get yourself that 
paid education. I have a girlfriend who went to school, but she's doing grooming. She worked at a mom and pop uh, boutique groomer, like, like I did, um, as in clothing, but she learned the mom and pop business. Then she worked at Petco, and then she learned how corporate runs a business. Now she runs her own business. So even though she went to college, looking back, she didn't need to go to college. She just needed to give her education through working. So I guess my advice is to just concentrate on what you want to do and figure out the best way to do that for you. What's going to give you the education that you need specifically to what you want to do? And if you're like me and you have no idea what that is, just pick one thing and it will lead you to where you're supposed to be. I mean, look at me. I was all over the place. I waited tables. I worked in a boutique. Now I'm in finance. I mean, it's, I would have never thought this would be where I am, but I just took a step forward and, and just kept walking and here I am. So. I, guess I love it. I love it. And I, I, I so appreciate the, the candor in, in the discussion because it's, I, I think everyone needs to know that you're not alone. You are, you're not the only one who's lost in college. You're not the only one who doesn't know what you want to do. You're not the only one. I am so envious of like the 12 people in the United States who, you know, <laughs> knew what they wanted to do from the time they were five right. and they went to school for that and they did that. But I think you're making so many great points in now that people do have more specialized skills. They, you know, do have degrees that are related to that or and there's so many other ways that you can express that before going to school or seeing if you even need to go to school I think there's value in education for sure and I think there's value in going to a four-year I think the for me I view even college if you don't have a technical degree or something I view the value of it is that you're able to um, have the self-discipline to get through with certain grades or whatever because that's really it's an exercise in self-discipline the the growing up the college if you go when you're you know 18 19 20 so this that it's awesome and I really appreciate it so much I love your story I love everything about it. I love talking to you. I honestly, I feel oh, like I, I love could just you. sit up for 20 hours. We just, we had so much fun and I want to keep talking about the fitness stuff. So I'm going to come back yes. and we'll talk to you again in another, whatever you tell me like six months or a year, if you do end up making some transition moves and let's talk about what that looks like so that people can kind of get a sense of how you can keep evolving because you, you know, you're essentially using the same skills that you've already gained throughout your life, but also in this industry of finance to then go and be a financial wellness officer, essentially. Right. 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 Yeah. So that'll be, so that'll be really cool. So Sarah can't thank you enough for joining us today. It was really so much fun, but also like incredibly uh, educational for all of us. So thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me and bearing with me because I know I get all over the place. <laughs> oh, that's the perfect I thing. That's so why much fun. Oh, no, that's, that's, that's why I think. And for you to be you on this podcast is what tells people because someone else is listening to this. They're like, oh, my gosh, just like we were in the suite. Like, oh, you're my long lost sister. Yes, of course. So someone else is listening to that and they're getting that that's them and they want to be able to express themselves. So thank you for being you. And it was awesome. It's a Okay, so let's jump into the fast track on a private banking career with Sarah Miller. 
So let me tell you what's so interesting about private banking. So Sarah has a wealth of experience, obviously, in banking. And every industry, as you well know, has this insider information. So Sarah's a private banker. I got to talk to her. I will give you all the information about what it is to be a private banker. But first, let me give you a couple of public service announcements. Because if you are a banker, this is the kind of stuff that you get to have knowledge about that the rest of us might be completely clueless. So listen to what Sarah is going to give you a tip. I don't care if you're ever going to be a banker. If you're going to be a consumer and doing any kind of banking, you need to know this. Listen to her talking about wire fraud. So my lesson is people with the wires is whoever you're working with to do it, confirm on both ends, always call the number that you know is what you've been working with or what's on the internet. Don't use a number that's on the wire information. Um, And just be very careful. And if you're working with someone through email, always use secured emails. And if they don't offer a secured email, then fax it or deliver it by mail. Like we got into all this information that again, she would have as a private banker. And the other thing is, if you're selling a house, I I mean, I didn't even think of this, because I'm not a criminal, but I think, listen to what she has to say about the caution that you need to take if you're selling a house. And anybody who's selling a house out there, if you don't know this already, there is a big, big, big movement where they know you're selling a house, they get into your email. And when it comes time to closing, they hijack the real closing documents and put in their information. They put in their information in the wiring instructions. So you get this email, you think it's your final closing doc. And in fact, it's their final closing documents with their information and their wiring instructions. So this is cool because this is, I'm giving this to you just as a little PSA on our little fast track here. But that is also the kinds of information and the sensitivities of the information that you're going to have as an insider if you choose a career in banking. So what are the opportunities in banking? Here's a look at Sarah, I, you know, obviously as a private banker, and we'll get into what that is specifically, but listen to her talking about how many opportunities there are in a big banking institution. So much community marketing, corporate institutional banking, retail banking. I mean, there's so much. It's not, it's a, it's a real business. It's not just banking. There's, you know, we have to operate too. So there's behind this behind the scenes back office work. There's so much management, you know, there's just so much that goes within the bank regulations. Oh my God. If your person is like, loves to read and, and make an audit, that's a whole job in itself. So yeah, there's a lot more to the bank than just those branches with yeah. people I don't think understand. I, well, I, I didn't help. understand. And I think that's important to look at because we go to the bank and we see the teller. If you're just a you know a person like I am, you go to the bank and you see the teller, you kind of don't realize that there's an entire, you know, matrix behind that person that is operating everything that gets done, even from like technical people, computer people, the ATM operators, you know, the there's security people, et cetera, et cetera. So again, this is an example of an industry where getting in and then letting it unfold in front of you as a career would be advisable. I mean, there's just a lot, a lot of different jobs that you can do in here. So what does Sarah do? Where does she fit in? Sarah's a private banker. So listen to her giving you an idea of what that is and how she fits in in her function within the bank. So how we work is we have a full team. So we have something called a client advisor. Now they're the person who's going out into the banks, into the branches, into networking events, meeting people and trying to get them onboarded with our financial institution. Once that happens and we onboard a client, so they're going to be scrubbing for that $1 million or more or the net worth. 
Once we get them over, then we have a relationship manager. The relationship manager is the liaison between the client and the team. And then under the relationship manager, you have all the basic functions of financial planning. So you have a financial planner who's going to take charge of retirement, estate, legacy. You're going to have a fiduciary advisor who's going to be in charge of all your trusts. You're going to have an investment advisor, self-explanatory. And then you're going to have me, which is a private banker who uh, basically operates as a you know, branch. So that gives you an idea. And that team, I think, what were there, six different jobs. And those are all seasoned people, people who have, you know, come in and then worked their way up a little bit over a few, you know, two, three, five plus years um, in the bank. So if you're a lawyer, you could be in that fiduciary aspect. If you're a finance person, you could be an investment advisor or a financial advisor. So just keep in mind as we're talking about this conversation, I'm going to focus in on Sarah's role as a private banker, because what is really instrumental for her is the customer service aspect and her people skills. But we will be, you know, working around all of these various jobs as we're talking about banking. So what is the trajectory for someone like Sarah as a private banker, then where would she think of going next with her career? How does her career look? Keep in mind, these are the types of jobs we're talking about that you can support a family on. These are career jobs. These aren't you can you could do it for a year or two and get some experience, but you can definitely build your life around this too. Listen to her talking about trajectory. So for me personally, I I aspire to be the relationship manager. That's where I'm going. And because my favorite part of this job is not the finances, it's the people and helping people and being with them. And and that's my favorite part. So that's what I aspire to be. And that's what I'm doing. And, and I think that shows a lot and with my clients. So they will reach out to me and say, can you help me with my investment? Can you help me with my trust? Can you give me a disbursement for my trust? And even though that's not my function and that's not what I specifically do, I, you know, talk to the fiduciary advisor or whatever function it is and I get it to them. And I kind of act as that quarterback relationship manager. Okay. So Sarah is a real people person. That is how she identifies herself and it's really her first love. So listen to what she has to say about the teller function because I again think so many of us look at the tellers as that's what a bank is or that's what your parents would tell you to do if you were going to go get a job at the bank. I could, you know, see them saying like just go get a job and you would go get a job as a teller because that's all you see. Listen to what she says about the teller function. But what people don't know is they are the forefront for fraud and they oh yes oh yeah every check and every per- like you know they have so it, they're friendly and they're having a conversation but what they're doing behind the scenes is so much more i mean they are making sure you're you are who you are your signature well, matches, you are yeah you everything are matches. on this account and where did this check come from are you because some people sometimes people will deposit fraud checks and they don't even know it they think it's a real check so they do so much. So oh, we've had I that in to, our business. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to tell people, you know, those tellers have it really hard and they do not make very much. So when you, when they're asking you questions and you're kind of annoyed and you think, why are you asking me about my personal business? They're only doing it to protect you. And honestly, they'll get fired if they don't do it. So just be a little kinder to them 
and know that um, that's a hard job. I would not be where I am now if that's where I started. Right. So that's very telling. I would not be where I am now if that's where I started. Meaning if that were my function with her as just, I mean, an, an insatiable people person, like she couldn't, you know, do that job and then kind of see an avenue out of that. So again, just be clear, if you go in and you are a teller and you're not loving that, that might just be a mismatch. It might not be that you have to get out of the bank. And same, if you end up in these customer service places and it's not where you're tended to be, you might really excel as a teller. So again, for Sarah, what I want to bring home for those of you who are people, 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 that you just love people and you think finance, why, why would I do finance or I don't see the connection to finance? Listen to Sarah talking about how she connects the dots in her job being a people person working in finance. Uh, I think that's the best part for me is, is working on the relationship and, and meeting people and hearing their stories and helping them. That's that's the best part. Right. So you know, she gets to do that as a, as a financier, but then she also has all the knowledge base in the back end about, you know, how these operations work, what people might need if they need a financial advisor, et cetera. She kind of facilitates a lot of things. If people lose their credit card, she's their person. If they need to open a new account, she's their person and on and on. So where does that come from? Who is a person like Sarah? How does she end up in, you know, finance and in banking and who is she really so if you're identifying yourself as a people person this might resonate with you listen to her talking about loving people you know i i i did ballet i did horseback riding i did soccer i did camps art camps real camps sleepaway camps horseback riding camps um i started in a private school and then i went to a public school and i uh, private school, elementary, public school, and middle school. And I just, I've, I've always been around people and I love getting to know people. And uh, I've been in camps where, or schools where I'm the only person I know and I have to make friends. And it's just, I enjoy it. I love people. I love meeting people and hearing their stories. And I've just always been that person. And I laugh, you be at, I laugh because you say, uh, are you the person that includes everybody? Yes, at lunchtime to this day, I'm like, who wants to come to lunch? And I invite all these people and they might not be the people that are there and might not all interact the same way. And they kind of are like, well, I thought we were having lunch. And it's like, the more the merrier. And so either I think it's kind of funny, either you are this person, if you're not, you know, these people. So there are people like this out there. And there are really good opportunities in a lot of industries and finance and banking being one of them. So extending from that, listen to what she talks about in terms of her responsibilities at work, and how being a people person really helps her because her responsibilities are pretty extensive. I have 150. No, I'm sorry, 200 relationships. So that means, you know, one relationship could be one person or it could be a mom, a dad, a grandparent, all the aunts and uncles and all the siblings. So it relationship could be very small or very large, but I have 200 relationships. Okay. And then if you have that many responsibilities, you're responsible, responsible for that many people. What does that look like on a day to day? Listen to her talking about that. I'm on call all the time. I give my my clients, my cell phone number, I'm always checking my email. And, and I think so I'm, I'm always available to my clients. I'm all over the place. But because of technology, I am always available email, cell phone, Skype for business. So I am all I'm always available to anybody when they should ever need me. 
Okay, so if that's your work environment and you're that available to your many, many clients, imagine you might get, you know, 15 emails in an hour and each one of those emails is something that has to be done within the hour or people don't realize that you have other clients. You know, when you're a client, you just think you're the only one, which is funny, actually, but that's really how it goes for someone in this customer service role. So what is that? What's the kind of the end result of that? Listen to her talking about the environment and how that impacts her. And then just personally, finance is a very stressful industry. I mean, my I was checking my emails while I was at the doctor. She came in and gave my blood pressure. They were like, your blood pressure is through the roof. Now, that being said, I work out religiously. I eat super healthy. Like, it's not my normal blood pressure. It's this job. It's stressful. It's demanding. It's everything needs done yesterday. So... Just for those of you who are people, people, I think there are people who are, um, I don't want to say tougher, but you know, kind of have like a thicker skin. And then there are people who are more sensitive. And so all, if you're a people person, all of these things can work for you. Um, And then just finding the right fit environmentally with that. So Sarah has a really interesting background. I didn't even know this when we started talking, but you think, oh, well, she must have, you know, gone to college and, you know, had a math degree or a finance degree or even a marketing degree, something like that. Nope. Here's the surprise uh, from Sarah of where she comes from educationally. I can draw and I can paint and I can sculpt and I can do photography. So I, I was a um, studio art major and I had a minor in art education. So I was more on the, the in art history. So I was really on the art side in that aspect. So this is a familiar story that we're getting out of so many of these episodes. So Sarah didn't really know what she was going to do in college. And she just ended up majoring in art because she loved it and was good at it, but really didn't have an an avenue for what she was going to do with that. She ended up, you know, going into art education for a little while, and then transitioned into retail experience because again, she loves people. It's so evident. So you keep finding your finding your true north here. So listen to her experience in retail, which is something for a people person is, I think, a really good foundation to kind of figure out what you love and what you really excel in. I got a, a job at this boutique in Denver. And it was, I was, I guess when I say lucky enough, because I got to be the stylist, and I got to be the buyer. And I oh, got yeah. to really take on um, the merchandising. And it just I kind of got even though it was me and the owner, I got to really understand how to run a boutique and from inside out. So it, I guess lucky enough because I wasn't just folding things and running the register like you would at Gap Kids or Forever 21. I was really involved with this boutique. I was involved in what we, what merchandise we got in and how we put it out there and working with clients and calling clients to bring them into the store. So I really got a, a better understanding of how that works. And I felt more involved and I felt more valued than if I was just at something at the mall, I would, you know. Right. And we talked about this too. I don't want um, anyone to get the impression like we, we thought, you know, she was saying Forever 21 and Gap. I mean, these are great retailers. And again, those are experiences that you might have at the register thinking, oh, I hate retail, but 
that's maybe because you haven't scratched the surface of retail. So just keep finding yourself and then keep being true to yourself, which is what Sarah continues to do throughout her story, which leads us to what is the common element in all of these jobs? Because now she works in essentially retail banking. So it's retail again. Um, So what are the common elements? And here she is talking about that. And when I started doing that, I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do for my life. I love this. This is amazing. Um, You know, I think we talked about this in the suite at the Pens game. But I mean, some people might say it's shallow. But when you put an outfit on somebody that looks good, fits right, and they just feel, you see them smile and you know they feel amazing and they give them that confidence, there's just no better feeling in the whole world. So I'm thinking, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to be. But as time and time went on and Nordstrom's came around and the internet came around, I learned that it is hard. You really have to have something special to stay in business. So that's a good example of how the market changes can impact your career. So here she is in this common you know, love of people, loving, you know, working in fashion, all that. And the market changes. So guess what? Your career has to change. But again, you, the essence of you does not have to change. You just have to find another environment where you can best serve yourself. So listen to her talking about that environment. Then I guess to circle back everything to to your point was, you know, I did the art education and I did the boutique work and now I'm in finance. And I think, and I waited tables. Um, but I think the underlying thing there is I just I'm interacting with people and I'm getting to know them. And so while I'm while this whole time I was trying to figure out what my career is, the underlying passion has always been there. And it's working with people, hearing their stories, helping them and just bringing a smile to their face. That's that's what that's what makes me happy. I'm definitely that person to walk the old lady across the street or uh, if somebody drops something, pick it up. Or if somebody loses their wallet, I won't hand it over to the store because I don't trust that they'll give them all their cash back. I will seek them out and make sure they get every single penny in that wallet because I know I can only trust myself to know that they're going to get back. So listen in there and how she identifies a passion of being, you know, helping people and serving people. So I think so much of the oh, find your passion, blah, blah, blah. And you're thinking, oh, I've got to go find my passion. Like I love gardening or I love, you know, whatever, reading books or (laughs) I love sports. Your passion could be people. And if you are have a passion for people, just, you know, own it. That's awesome. And those of you with those skills, not everyone has that. And I think if you have it, you, you just assume everyone has it. It's not true at all. And you can really make a tremendous impact as someone who, like she's saying, is the person who's going to walk the lady across the street and is the person who's going to return the wallet. Just keep keep being true to yourself and find these areas of life where you can excel and where people can recognize your your talents. So from that, how does she get identified as that person? Obviously, she was working in that boutique and so was identified there. But she had a a fortunate event in meeting this what I called kind of the guru woman who her father had introduced her to. And this woman sat down with her for a little lunch. So listen to Sarah talking about this meeting. And she says to me, why don't you email me your resume after this? And I'm so naive because I just had such a good time talking to her. 
I'm thinking she's going to like beef up my resume, make it look better. Totally. (laughs) Absolutely. I think she's going to take like, okay, we're going to, we're going to market your resume. So we're going to take like art history and we're going to say that you're like a, I don't even know, like an art specialist viewer and you really want to do something so they can be more concrete. I would think the same thing completely. That's exactly what I'm thinking. But um, no, she gave my resume. To the president of the bank or the board of directors or something, right? Yeah, she gave my she gave my uh, she gave my resume to the regional manager who oversaw all the brand Pittsburgh bank branches, and uh, he called me in the next day and said, "Do you want to interview for this job?" I said, "I don't know anything about banking." He said, "I can I can teach you banking, but I can't teach your customer skill services. I can't touch." I can't teach that you're a people person. And there it is. And that's a regional manager. And if you can find these people, they would say that about everyone. It's it's so true. So listen to her just, you know, putting a real exclamation point on that. If you're like me and you're a people person, any job, they can teach you that. They taught me the banking. If you want to sell anything, really, it's, it's, it's about being a people person and talking to people and and getting out there or whatever the job is, you can learn what the job is specifically. It's just but those skills you can't teach. You can't make somebody talk to somebody. And that's a little joke I always say, like self-awareness is so huge. I can't stand when people are in customer service jobs and they hate people. It's like, why are you here? So I'm sure we can all relate to that. Absolutely. So I I had a chance to ask Sarah because she's had such a great career in banking as a people person. Again, she's not, you know, she doesn't come from finance background. She was able to learn all that. And you can learn these things if you are a people person, if that's really where your passions lie. So what would she maybe tweak a little bit or what would it look like, you know, in hindsight for her? Here's her answer to that. I wish I knew what I wanted to be when I was a kid, where I could have went to college for that, got a job right out of college for that paid internship, (laughs) Uh, and then just built my career straight out of college and then like hit the ground running. And I'm kind of laughing because I think we all we all would love that. If if you're in school right now, I'm sure you're thinking that same thing. Like I've talked to plenty of people who are in college who are you know switching and you know, trying to like muscle through their chemistry classes, thinking like, why am I doing this? So that's always the big you know why. So then it's like, well, if you don't know exactly what you would do, what would what would you do? Like, would you stay in college? Would you defer college? Would you just get a job? I mean, what what do you even do and what's what's her experience and what's her advice on that so listen to her talking about that now I feel like you kind of need a set skill you need to not only go to business school but you need to have a specific thing within business school that you're going to that sets you apart from the rest so it's really changed so I guess my thing is I guess yeah if you don't know what the expenses of school my advice would be Get out of high school, travel. I think travel is very important. Go do things while you have no responsibilities yet. Get out there, see the world, travel, come back. If you still don't know what you want to do, then get a job. Get a job doing whatever. I mean, seriously, whatever. Get a job and start seeing how it works when you're providing for yourself, seeing how 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 you provide yourself what do you need to do what do you want for yourself 
And what are your passions starting to be that you want to get a job? And then once you figure that out, then go to school for that and go to school for that specifically and set yourself apart from the rest of the masses who are also going to school. If you don't need to go to school, if you can't afford to go to school, then figure out what you need to do as in going to, like I went to that boutique, get yourself that paid education. Such great advice. So again, this is Career Goals with Chris Calvert, and that has been your fast track on private banking with Sarah Miller. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Take care of